Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our investigation into the Von Bulos, Sonny and Klaus. Last week, we got to know each of them in their individual lives before their marriage. This week, we will take our couple from that 1966 marriage up to Sonny's second and final remaining coma in December of 1980. This is a tale of love turned sour, of illicit affairs, and of suspicious maids, too. Let's investigate. In our last episode, we met Sonny and Klaus and ultimately brought them together in the Holy Sacrament of Marriage on June the 6th, 1966. 6666, so many sixes. Their daughter, Cosima, was born in the spring of 1967, and for the next number of years, things progress quite like they do in high society. Sonny has plenty of cash, millions and millions. Money is never a worry. Sunny is emotionally dependent on her new hubby. Her children from her first marriage, Alla and Alex, like Klaus too. They originally call him Ducky, as with his hair transplants, Klaus von Bülow will not put his head under water, and the kids think he swims like a duck. Klaus will leave his right-hand man to J. Paul Getty job in 1968, and the couple focuses on being what they're supposed to be, a high-society couple attending all the right events, being seen in all the right places at the right times. It's easy enough now. They're kind of set up to live the dream. The couple lives in New York City in a fabulous apartment at 965th Avenue. It's a pretty famous building, high-profile neighbors, lovely home, Also, let's not forget about their Newport, Rhode Island summer cottage acquisition in the early 1970s, Clarendon Court. Check out last week's Not Done Yet on Patreon for the expose of that famous home. There is another good thing that has happened in Sonny's life in this time period. Sonny has acquired a new ladies' maid, Maria Schralhammer. Maria used to be employed by the Krupp family, and Maria is devoted to Sonny. Know that. After 1967, we have three kids in the mix now for the couple, Ala, Alex, and Cosima, all different ages. There are schools and governesses, and of course, for Sonny, socialite stuff. She's on many committees and councils, doing all the typical good work of ladies in her position. She has the leisure, too. I mean, socialite is a lifestyle. I do want to make a note here. Dominic Dunn has known Sonny since her coming out party at Tamerlane in 1950. Our man Nick wants to make certain, and he will every time he is asked about the case, He wants you to know that the movie version of Sonny Von Bulow in Reversal of Fortune, 
where Sonny is portrayed as an emotionally frail alcoholic, Dominic Dunn stresses that is not how Sonny was. Dominic Dunn says instead that Sonny was a, quote, beautiful and shy woman who did not really like the social life, although she was totally associated with the social life. Again, in the subsequent trials, Sonny is not made out to be a very sympathetic character, at least by Klaus's defense team. The defense for Klaus in the future likes to bally about that Sonny was on drugs. Sonny was a drunk. Sonny was a vain and petty woman. She lowered the lawn at Clarendon Court by 17 feet just to get a better view of the water. The lowering the lawn thing is true, but Sonny being on drugs and being addicted to alcohol, none of those things really are necessarily provable. The jury's still out on that. I do believe, however, that Sonny might have been just a little bit gaslit by her husband, whom she so desperately wants to believe in. Oh, the 1970s. What a decade. There are a few things that happen during the 1970s to note as we work through this decade for Sonny and Klaus. First up, Klaus's good friend, Lord Lucan, would commit his infamous crime in 1974. This is Klaus's second friend, who is a straight-up murderer, the first, Anne Woodward. Make a note of that here. By 1977, Sonny is getting more and more reclusive. From Dominic Dunn's Fatal Charm, he writes this. In the three years that preceded Sonny Von Bulow's second coma, most of her friends did not see her, or saw her only rarely. Some of them claim that Von Bulow isolated her, answered the telephone for her, took messages that they felt she never received. One of Sonny's last public appearances in New York was at the funeral of her childhood friend Peggy Bedford, a standard oil heiress with an inheritance comparable to Sonny's, although she was reputed to have gone through most of it by the time of her death in an automobile accident. Married first to Thomas Bancroft, she had later become the Princess de Arenberg and then the Duchess Duzes. Friends say they spoke with Sonny on the steps of St. James Church following the service and found her warm and friendly and eager to make plans to see them. Then Von Bulow appeared at her side, took hold of her by the elbow, and led her off to their waiting limousine. One old friend, Diego Del Vallo, remembers that she waved a gloved hand to him out of the car window. We can date this event to October 1977, when Peggy Bedford passes away. Peggy and Sonny had been friends truly from their childhood. Bedford, that name is partially the family that attained some of the standard oil fortune Peggy Bedford is definitely another heiress. Peggy will attend Chapin and Miss Porter's just like Sonny and the rest of their friends. Peggy will deb in 1952. Peggy and Sonny, BFFs. I can imagine this is a very sad day for Sonny. 
her sweet friend Peggy, was killed in an automobile accident just a few days before her 45th birthday. An interesting connection here not to overlook. Peggy's first husband, long before her princess and duchess title, was Thomas More Bancroft. Why would we need to connect that? Haha. <laughs> Let me tell you that Thomas More Bancroft was the son of Edith Woodward Bancroft. That is her married name. Edith Woodward Bancroft is the sister of Billy Woodward. Peggy Bedford will go on to marry twice more after her 1960 Alabama divorce from Thomas. It really does all connect. So in 1977, here we have Sonny growing more reclusive, Klaus taking hold of her life in a number of ways, and also Klaus growing more bold in a number of ways. What might be happening with him? Well, in the late 1970s, Klaus von Bülow begins an affair. And through their marriage, I'm fairly certain that Sonny knows that Klaus is not faithful. And each couple, as we all know, has their own love language. To Sonny, as long as Klaus and whatever dalliances he got up to didn't really intersect with Sonny's world, well, Sonny was okay to be sure not to look too hard. There's a lot more to do with charities and children and flower arranging. And well, in Sonny's life, if she doesn't see it, it doesn't happen. And remember here in our equation, Sonny has the money. She has the homes. She has the position. Klaus is living off of Sonny. Perhaps maybe not wanting to, at least in the beginning. There was some discussion of him going back to work, but darling, there's just so much to do in this life of ours. Klaus will live off of $120,000 a year. This is $10,000 a month that is provided from interest from a trust just for Klaus provided by Sonny. It's a little walking around money, a little pin money, not enough for a man like Klaus von Bülow to live independently, though. Not that Klaus is dumb with the money that he has. In 1978, Klaus von Bülow will invest into Ira Levin's play Death Trap, which premieres on Broadway that same year. Good reason to keep Klaus in the city, now with his mistress and not necessarily with his wife, as by 1978, he is into a steamy relationship with Alexandra Isles. Hold on to that for just a moment. Death Trap, this Broadway play Klaus invests in, is a huge success. It is nominated for four Tony Awards, including Best Play. Death Trap runs over 1,800 shows through four years and will be made into a movie of the same name in 1982. Incidentally, Death Trap is about a playwright who murders his wife. So many signs in this story, so many signs. So in the late 1970s, Klaus von Bülow begins an affair. And not just an affair, his philandering will intersect a lady in Sonny's high society set. It is one thing to have a mistress, 
outside of the scene, but that is not what Klaus von Bülow did. Klaus finds his lady in the most blue-blooded lady he could find, Alexandra Isles. Let's meet Alexandra first through her parents. Alexandra's mother is a lady named Mab Moltke, originally known as Mabel Comstock, Mabel Wright, Mabel Wilson. Mab Moltke, as she is professionally known, was born in San Francisco. And Mab, with a fortune behind her, she's got a pedigree, she's still a working girl. Mab will begin her career in New York City with Saks Fifth Avenue. She'll move on to Vogue, becoming that magazine's beauty editor until 1941, when Bergdorf Goodman made her advertising director. This is big stuff. Mab will join the Office of War Information in World War II, which gets her to Stockholm, where she will meet Count Carl Adam Moltke, a member of the Danish underground. Mab will marry for the second time to Count Moltke in 1944. We heard a little bit about the Count in the last episode. This is Alexandra's father. Count Moltke does get her future lover, Klaus von Bülow, as a child in his Boy Scout uniform, out of the perils of war. Count Moltke is a very, very big deal in the Danish underground. More to come on that in a future episode. For now, the Count and Countess Moltke, two daughters follow, Alexandra and Victoria. Alexandra was born February 11th, 1946 in Sweden. And when we talk about blue-blooded through her American grandmother, Alexandra is related to pretty much every founding family of the United States. The Livingstons, the Schuylers, the Bayards, the Van Rensselaer families, too. Again, we got Comstock. I could get really, really stuck in these family trees, but the thing I want to convey is Alexandra is from one of the best, the biggest, one of the most important trees when it comes to families. Alexandra's parents divorce in 1956, and her father, Count Moltke, remarries that same year to Doris Eccles of Newport, Rhode Island. Alexandra's mom, Mab, keeps working. She will work for Tiffany & Company as director of publicity. She will publish a book, Gems, a collection of precious stones. This is released in 1967. The following year, 1968, Mab returns to Bergdorf Goodman as director of advertising and publicity. By 1970, Mab moves to Ireland and remains there for the rest of her life. She is not around for the coming nonsense in her daughter's life here, at least within the United States. Let's get back to Alexandra, a life of privileged, top-notch schools, top-notch people. Alexandra will land herself a job in 1966, landing the pivotal role of Victoria Winters on Dark Shadows, the gothic vampire soap opera. Alexandra plays the ingenue, playing against the lovely Joan Bennett. It really does all connect. Just last week, I covered Joan Bennett's trashy divorce on trashy divorces. Check that one out for a heck of a divorce story. Alexandra, for her part, loves working on Dark Shadows. She will marry for the first time, 
the following year in 1967 to Philip Henry Isles of the Lehman Banking family. Not much of a need to work, for Alexandra pregnancy follows in 1968, with Alexandra leaving her role on Dark Shadows, at this time having appeared in a total of 335 episodes. She is a much-beloved member of that cast. Motherhood does come. Alexandra gives birth to a son in 1969, and things progress for our couple. For Alexandra, though, the marriage to Philip was over by 1976, leaving Alexandra single and working out what comes next in her life. Enter Klaus von Bülow. They begin their love affair. Alexandra Isles is on the scene and in the scene. This affair is most certainly interfering with and into Sonny's world. And sure, at first, things are discreet between our lovers, Klaus and Alexandra, but they get less so over time. That's the thing about illicit affairs. (sighs) You lie and you die a million little times. This is a fantastic time to take our first break. When we return, we'll be moving into 1979. Back in a moment. By 1979, it is pretty much outright acrimony between Sonny and Klaus. He is cheating openly. And the relationship between Klaus and Alexandra, it is a stormy romance. They are on again, off again. They come together. They pull apart. Klaus continues to appeal to Alexandra's patience, really. He expresses how unhappy he is, that Sonny is so unhappy. Alexandra's thinking, divorce her and marry me. And Klaus keeps telling Alexandra that Sonny's just not stable. How on earth could he leave her? As you can imagine, this creates acrimony with Alexandra too. Again, breaking up, getting back together, Klaus is not having a whole lot of luck in the relationship department in 1979. Sonny, for her part, is desperately unhappy as well. Klaus and Sonny are both talking openly and in public of getting a divorce. They will still spend time together, but it is not loving or intimate time in any way. Klaus is getting more and more pressure from Alexandra to simply just be done with Sonny. And it seems like the end of the marriage between Sonny and Klaus could just end with maybe some hurt feelings. Maybe there's some checks written, but let's just be done with it and move along. Sonny has seen her own mother, Annie Laurie Aitken, find happiness in a later marriage. Sonny could move along as well. There's so much to look forward to in her own life. Sonny's first two children are getting older. Soon they will be marrying and having kids. Like, Klaus von Bülow is just baggage, Sonny. Let's be done with it. And the von Bülows might just be headed to divorce, but see, divorce leaves Klaus with nothing. Sure, he's got that allowance, which is $10,000 a month. All told, that $120,000 a year through trust, but... 
That's never going to sustain Klaus von Bülow post-divorce. And at the time of the marriage in 1966, there were prenups and legal arrangements. If the von Bülows divorce, Klaus goes away with what he walked in with, which wasn't much, and that $120,000 a year. Again, Sonny holds all the purse strings. Divorce is not going to leave Klaus with anything, penniless, really. However, if Klaus is a widower and Sonny passes away, his situation is entirely changed. If Sonny perhaps dies, Klaus gets her fortune and her homes and a life free of the chains of his wife Sonny and perhaps a life he could look forward to with Alexandra supplemented by Sonny's cash. Perhaps Klaus gets to thinking about all the things that he knows from his schooling, his life experience, his friends, and their own successful murders. What did Russell Aitken say? He's greedy and cold-blooded, as cold-blooded as a snake, and I apologize to the snake. Christmas 1979 is upon us, and here the Von Bülow family will come together to celebrate the holidays. As acrimonious as things are, Christmas does have a way of softening the heart. There are three children here after all. We can and will be a family. Christmas is Sonny's favorite time of the year, and everyone will gather at Clarendon Court to celebrate in December of 1979. December 26, 1979 is the first of the attempted murders of Sonny Von Bülow. It is a normal after-holiday day. Sonny and her son Alexander drink eggnog in the study. It's a family tradition. Here, though, Sonny gets weak. She begins acting very oddly. Some friends of Sonny's testify that Sonny is not at all a drinker. When she drinks, she's a two-cocktail-and-out kind of lady. Maybe she doesn't know when to stop when she starts, but it is well known how Sonny reacts with alcohol. Again, it is unclear if she has a problem with drinking. It is known by everyone she is affected early by liquor when she is. After the eggnog, Sonny's acting a little odd, Alexander will help his mother to bed. He will get up the following morning to play tennis. I mean, Alexander's a strapping college prep kid having his holiday break. But after tennis, Alex comes home and Sonny's not awake. And Maria, her devoted ladies maid, is crying, full on tears. Maria knows something is wrong with Mrs. and all is not right in Clarendon Court. Maria tells Alexander that Sonny is sick, she's ill, and Klaus is not seeking medical attention for her. And not only that, Klaus has ordered Maria not to disturb Sonny under any circumstances. Suspicious, right? Maria lurks all through the day at Sonny's door. Finally hears sounds, maybe moaning or snores or coughs or rasps to be determined in the trial. But ever loyal Maria, she finally enters to care for her missus. 
only to find Mr. Klaus von Bülow reading his paper ever so casually while his wife is dying next to him. Klaus will not call a doctor. He refuses. He's playing a waiting game. Finally, blessedly, after Alexander is notified and Alla is notified and Maria is positively at the limit, the family demands Klaus get medical help for Sonny. Help is summoned. Sonny is rushed to the hospital. Doctors find her unconscious with a very low blood sugar, which is not necessarily unusual for unconscious people. Doctors will treat this low blood sugar. Really does wonders for a person when it's treated, but, but weirdly, here Sonny's blood sugar drops even lower after being given dextrose. Big time sugar implementation. This should reset Sonny's blood sugar. It does not. Her blood sugar goes lower. This is not normal. This indicates higher insulin levels in the body already present. Sonny's body is not regulating insulin clearly or cleanly, but at this time, no one really suspects foul play except Maria. Maria is always watching. Sonny will recover this time. And naturally, doctors have a lot of questions for Sonny. Sure, she says, I like sweets. Absolutely not. I in no way injected myself with insulin. This mysterious, unconscious medical event will become the first medical mystery of 1980, friends. What is wrong with Sonny? The answer to those questions when we come back from another quick break. Early in 1980 here, doctors will diagnose Sonny Von Bülow as hypoglycemic, which means she has a tendency towards low blood sugar. Also, that means Sonny should not be within 100 miles of insulin ever. Insulin lowers the blood sugar. Hypoglycemics never ever, not one day in their life, need insulin. Doctors recommend to Sonny to watch her diet, watch her sugar intake, regulate alcohol, and she should be skipping along in no time, back on the road to wellness. Maria, ever loyal, ever faithful, ever watchful Maria, she's going to give us a bit of an idea of what is happening with the Von Bulos after that Christmas 1979 incident. Here within this year, Maria writes a letter to a friend of hers that summarizes the ominous situation in the Von Bülow household, as well as Maria's most terrible fears. William Wright, in his The Von Bülow Affair, quotes the text of this letter from Maria to her friend. Again, all sources can be found on doneanddone.com. From William Wright, Letter from our ever-faithful Maria to her friend. Dear Erica, Unfortunately, not everything is rosy here. Monday night at about 11 p.m., Mr. Bulow came to my room and told me something had happened, but it was nothing bad. As I entered the bedroom, Mrs. was laying on the bed, covered with blood, with an injury on the back of her head. On the carpet, also a blood stain, 
and a towel soaked with blood. He already had called the ambulance, which arrived very shortly. Mrs. Bulow was in a complete daze and mumbled some words you could not understand. They took her to Lenox Hill Hospital two blocks away and next day transferred her to the medical center. There she regained consciousness and could recall nothing. She was till Thursday under intensive care with poisoning symptoms and very, very weak. She is feeling better. Her husband said she fell and injured herself. Last, December 27th, I found her unconscious in a bedroom at Newport. I went to my room after my boss told me that Mrs. had a throat ache and would not get up. He told me specifically that I don't have to come. As I stood in front of the locked door, I heard her moaning. Determined, I knocked on the door and went in. He lay next to her and tried to convince me that she was asleep. It went on all day. He refused to get a doctor and she sank deeper in her coma. At 6 p.m., I held her groaning in my arms as the doctor finally came through the door. My God, was that a relief. She literally was rescued from death. With an ambulance from the fire department, she was taken to a hospital. Thank God she recovered slowly. They found out her blood sugar level was very low, at least a plus for him. I found that her condition in February was very peculiar. I went secretly to Mrs. Aitken and I told her the truth. Bulow and I are at daggers points. In April, Mrs. Bulow spent almost two weeks at the medical center for tests. They diagnosed that her blood sugar was unstable, but at the hospital she was feeling rather well. Sometimes I get sick thinking about what is going to happen next. Mrs. trusts her husband blindly and is totally dependent. He, of course, has a girlfriend. The whole life has changed. No more parties, and they don't go out either. She gained a lot of weight and is very unhappy about it. Here in the early months of 1980, Maria knows something's off about the Christmas of 1979. Maria doesn't like it. Maria smells a rat or a cold-blooded snake. But Maria's not doing anything about her suspicions yet. Until. We're going to take this next bit from crimelibrary.org. Again, Mark Gribben's account of this is a wonderful sum up of what happens next. Several weeks later, Maria found her first clue that Klaus was involved in Sonny's collapse. The servant was cleaning a closet and happened on a travel bag used by Klaus to shuttle items back and forth from New York to Newport. It was unzipped, and inside Maria saw a black leather case about four inches wide and eight inches long. It was sealed, but Maria was curious. I really don't know why I did it, she would later testify. It just happened. Inside the bag, Maria saw pills, later determined to be Valium, a powder, and a vial of liquid. She immediately called Allah and surreptitiously took the black bag to Allah's apartment to show her. Klaus was out of town and oblivious to Maria and Allah's activities. The Valium was in a prescription bottle, 
but the name on the label, Leslie Baxter, was unknown to Maria. Alla made notes of the prescription label and took samples of the powder and liquid, which she turned over to a family physician, Dr. Richard Stock. The results were alarming. The liquid, a paste really, was Valium, and the powder was the powerful barbiturate secobarbital. The substances themselves weren't surprising to Stock. He had prescribed both for Sonny several times in the past. What was curious was that Valium and secobarbital were not available in the forms in which they were found in the black bag. No pharmacy would ever fill a prescription in those forms. The drugs must have come from an illicit source. Maria, unsure of how Sonny would react to the discovery and whether Sonny already knew about the black bag, said nothing to her mistress. Neither did Allah or Alexander. Intravenous injections were reputedly a normal part of the Von Bülow household. Maria would later testify that she saw Klaus with a syringe and vitamins while on vacation in Majorca. Friends of Sonny's, Truman Capote and Joanne Carson, ex-wife of The Tonight Show host, swore in depositions that Sonny was a regular IV drug user. Maria herself, although she never saw Sonny use a syringe, knew Klaus had injected her with vitamins. Nevertheless, Maria and the von Ausberg children continued to keep an eye on the black bag as Klaus moved it from New York to Rhode Island and back. In April 1980, Sonny again appeared weak, incoherent, and disoriented. Maria immediately called Dr. Stock, who admitted Sonny to a New York hospital for tests. In the course of the tests, doctors confirmed the original diagnosis of reactive hypoglycemia. The only treatment for severe hypoglycemia is diet management. Sonny was ordered to limit her sugar intake and to stay away from alcohol. In the meantime, Alla married a wealthy Austrian in Salzburg, and Sonny, despite her sadness over losing her daughter to the continent, appeared hale and hearty during the festivities. She managed her diet, drinking only diet sodas and having fruit for dessert. There were no signs of illness and no attacks of hypoglycemia. Shortly before Thanksgiving, however, Maria was cleaning Klaus's closet and saw the black bag. She opened it and found the usual contents. She also found something much more ominous. Inside the bag, there were three syringes, one used. In addition to the needles, a large vial filled with liquid was marked insulin. Frightened, Maria immediately showed the contents to Alexander. What for insulin, she asked him. Mrs. Von Bülow is not a diabetic. She doesn't need insulin. Again, Maria decided to keep her discovery from both Sonny and Klaus. It was not her place, she reasoned, to come between a husband and wife. 
this decision and her alert of Alexander would have profound implications. After Thanksgiving, Sonny had a self-induced health crisis that once again precipitated a hospital stay. Suffering from an intensely painful sinus infection, she overdosed on aspirin and became disoriented and quote-unquote slurry, Maria said. Sonny was bleeding from her head when Klaus alerted Maria to her mistress's distress, and as she tried to talk to Sonny, Klaus called 911. Sonny spent six days in the hospital, suffering from her toxic aspirin poisoning. She had taken more than 60 aspirin, a dosage high enough to have killed her. This is all of the action that is happening up to and through November 1980. Things are very much coming apart. But again, this family, for Sonny's favorite time, the Von Bulos will all be reassembling at Clarendon Court again in December in Newport. A little holiday trip. Sonny, after recovering from the terrible November she had, is very much looking forward to the Christmas mini-break. Maria is highly suspicious. Klaus, at this point, is a man hunted. Alexandra Isles has given him an ultimatum. You need to be done with the sunny thing by the end of the year or I am done waiting around for you. Pressure is coming down on Klaus von Bülow in a lot of ways here. We're going to take this next bit from William Wright in The Von Bülow Affair about the lead-in to this particular 1980 holiday and what is exactly happening in the world of Klaus von Bülow. From William Wright, A few days before Klaus von Bülow was to drive to Newport for a pre-Christmas weekend with Sonny, Alexander Isles invited him to a carol service in which her son was playing in the orchestra. Afterwards, von Bülow returned to Alexandra's apartment for dinner. The evening was a typical Alexandra mock-up of family life. A day or two later, he was with Alexandra at a dinner party given by friends, which suggests how far they had progressed as an open couple. Still, relations between Klaus and Alexandra were not fully repaired. The Watergate coffee shop declarations had not succeeded in mollifying her. For the opening of the play she was working on in Washington, she received a telegram from Von Bülow. Quote, break a leg, break a heart, unquote. This was followed by a note from him saying that Sonny had been hospitalized with an aspirin overdose. Its effect was to drive Alexandra back into her old fears that her affair was causing Sonny's health crises. Since this had once before caused a rift in their affair, it seems odd Von Bülow felt obliged to keep Alexandra with whom he was now having such spotty communications so well informed about Sonny's difficulties. Christmas softened Alexandra's heart, however, resulting in two conciliatory gestures. The invitation to the carol service and two Christmas presents for Von Bülow, which she dropped off at 960 Fifth Avenue. Inside the package was one gift wrap present to which she had affixed a cut-out heart torn in half 
but crudely rejoined with a band-aid. The other present had the recklessly indiscreet inscription, quote, to my favorite manic depressive, unquote. Alexandra would later characterize these gifts as a quote-unquote peace offering. Nevertheless, the affair, which, for a good part of its two-year duration, had been tormented, now seemed to be at its most agonized. Each of Alexandra's actions suggest her pain and confusion. How much longer could Klaus von Bülow hold in abeyance this woman who had already been heroically patient and forgiving? It was in an anguished state of mind that Klaus von Bülow prepared to climb into the Mercedes with Sonny and Cosima to drive to Newport for a family holiday weekend. Alexander would come down from Providence. Because Mrs. Aitken was ill and had to remain in her apartment, the plan was to spend the weekend of December 20th and 21st at Clarendon Court and then return to New York for Christmas dinner with the Aitkins. Just before leaving, Sonny phoned Isabel Glover at her antique store on Manhattan's 57th Street. Sonny seemed in a mood to talk about herself. This happened so rarely that Isabel took the time from a working morning to chat with her old friend. Sonny was preoccupied with her erratic health. She wished she could find out what was wrong with her, she told Isabel. On one point, Sonny was emphatic. She would not return to a hospital. During her treatment for aspirin toxicity earlier in the month, nurses had had trouble finding Sonny's veins and, quote, those needles hurt, unquote. In talking about this conversation later, Isabel said, Sonny was very stoic. If she said the needles hurt, they must have been excruciating. Isabel went on to say that Sonny never leaned on her friends. If something was bothering her, she invariably kept it to herself. She never mentioned to Isabel, for instance, that she was contemplating divorce. But in that case, Isabel added, she didn't have to. It was obvious something was wrong. Maria was to have accompanied the family for the Newport weekend, but at the last minute, Von Bülow urged that she stay behind. Maria was overworked, he said. If she went up to Newport, she, quote, would just catch flu again, unquote. Sonny, who had asked Maria to come, agreed it was a good idea to give Maria a few days off. As Maria was helping her employers get off, she took some of their bags down in the elevator. Among them was Von Bülow's customary open satchel, this one a white canvas bag that had Metropolitan Opera printed on it. Among the items inside, Maria spotted the black bag. She opened it and saw that it contained the syringes and vials among them, the one marked insulin. Alarming as this was, Maria tried to allay her fears by telling herself he wouldn't dare try to do it again. The day after, the Von Bulos arrived in Newport, Saturday, December 20th, 1980, would be Sonny's last day of consciousness. 
And that is where we're going to stop this story for now. On our next Dunday, we are going to get to that terrible day in December 1980 and its aftermath. Investigators one and all, thank you for listening today. I really appreciate you spending your time with me. As always, huge thanks for telling your friends, for your kind emails, for your kind reviews, most especially for your support on patreon.com slash done and done, which is the place to go if you are looking to show a little support to our podcast here, as well as avoid ads and get your episodes early. Two bucks a month can make all of that magic happen. Five bucks a month in support will add on a weekly not done bonus episode for you. This week, I'm going into a little bit of a spider web about a random clue our man Dominic left in his writing about this case. It is another mystery in Newport, Rhode Island surrounding the 1982 death in Newport of Paul Molitor Jr., hired by Klaus von Bülow in 1979 to work for the Newport Preservation Society. You will find that not done yet as well as 62 other additional not done yet bonuses again over at patreon.com slash done and done. Many thanks to you all. Until our next Dunday, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.